Hi, this is Jackie Fry, design ops leader and part-time sociologist. And this is Allison Rand, design ops leader and cognitive neuroscientist in training. And you are listening to In Common. Woo! Hey, mommy. Hey, oh mommy. my God, I love it. Oh my gosh, I love so, it. How are you feeling today, my darling friend? Uh, it's been a bad, this is, this week is not, no sub bueno, no, 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 it's not a good week. And I, and I needed to hit reset in like so many ways. I think I like, I, I know I'll go through this again, but I was definitely at the bottom of like the cycle, the grief cycle. I was like, so this is what that feels like. And I've like not been my best self to all these people around me. And I definitely had to say sorry a couple times this week, but Mm. it's okay. I'm, um, I wrote myself a permission slip that it's okay to fuck up. So good for you. Okay. A hundred percent. And just say sorry and mean it and do something about it. And so I feel like I told a couple people, including my family, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I wake up every morning and say the same exact thing. (laughs) I'm going to do better. I will do better. (laughs) (laughs) And then I go to bed like, God damn it. (laughs) What did I do? Tomorrow I'll do better. (laughs) I have had a lot of interactions with people this week that have been, you know, not negative. I just, I think a lot of people are, are struggling this week um, through this emotionally and trying to find this like work life balance when you're really oh just feeling bad. Yeah. So different. When you're out of balance and then you're like trying to like, literally the world is out of balance right now um, in so many ways. And then you're like, let me try to balance my individual experience right now that I have no control over. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's what's happening. And no wonder why it's driving people a little crazy. Uh, the You and I, this isn't our first time talking for the week. You and I have like literally talked yeah. every day. All the time. And on Marco Polo. On lots of Marco Polo. <laughs> on the texts, um, on the Marco Polos, Marco on the Polos. Zooms, <laughs> <laughs> on the Instas. What else? Are you, I know, are you annoyed <laughs> of me at this point? No, because I'm not. I need, I could just use a tone. Oh. But oh, no, I love you this. and I were talking this week and it's like, I think we had a few hard conversations where it's like, you know what, what's, where, where are we really at for capacity? And you had said this thing that you were talking with friends about subtraction. Like, let's, what did you say again? I said, this is a real life um, experience of subtraction, like IRL subtraction. What are we, you know, what are we, what are we like winnowing down to that is the most essential things in our life at this point, because so much of this is overwhelming and there's so many things going on and we're all balancing a million things, regardless of whether or not you have kids at home or you're at home alone, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Um, And I, and I think, you know, just thinking about it, that dawned on me in that conversation we were having, just thinking about it in terms of subtraction made it feel less like, oh, these are all the things that I'm losing and more Mm -hmm. like, these are all the things that I've decided to do away with in order to gain. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. that has actually been incredibly freeing. It is. I think I've been feeling like the people or the things I've had to say, you know what, I can't do this right now. Like I felt maybe what's felt hard is the emotional, like sort of admitting that I can't do everything. You know, there's a little bit of that going on, but there's also 
like feeling like I'm letting people down, but it is kind of kind. What did Brene Brown says? Clarity is kindness. And the mm. more clear you can be to others of your available capacity, it's an act of being kind instead of being like, yeah, sure. I could do it. But I like, can't cause I can't right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, I think it's both, it's hard for me to feel like I'm letting my friends down or my family down or coworkers down. I think that's, this is the first time I'm putting into words of like why I kind of feel the way I am, but I am saying yes to the things that are most important, but I do feel like a little mm -hmm. bit like I'm letting people down. Um, but you know, I can only, I only have so much time. I only have so much energy. And even yeah. like, even like in, in all of it, my capacity, my capacity is lower than what it usually is because yes. of the mental, uh, and cognitive load that everything has on you. Cause I don't really leave my house and that's a lot. <laughs> There's kids it, everywhere. Yeah. There are children everywhere. I see children everywhere. Um, yeah. And I think that the more we are, uh, you know, the more we are honest about the impact that the situation is having on our, on our, on us, um, the more it opens up opportunity for connection and mm -hmm. just having that authentic, uh, bringing your authentic self to, to the situation. And it's hard for people like us who are pretty A-type overachievers and want to make everybody happy. It's mm -hmm. like, is sort of sitting with that feeling of disappointing somebody and also being like, am I really disappointing them or am I disappointing myself? Oh my gosh. You know, like, there is. There's a you know what I'm saying? But you know, I felt, I didn't get here. I, you know, a previous colleague gave me a book called what got you here won't get you there. And I read it and I like, Oh my gosh, yes. But like what got me here right now was a lot of, um, dealing with bullshit and also taking on double the amount of work compared to others mm -hmm. to absorb as much experience as I can to prove people wrong when they like kind of, you know, don't, believe in me or believe that I could do something. And that's just like sort of that veil we carry as women of color. You know, we got to work kind of two times harder than things. So it's, it's an adjustment for me to not feel like I still have to work two times harder right now. And I'm lucky that I'm in senior leadership, but a lot of people still have to work two times harder um, than others to even get, get ahead and, and to achieve right now. And I and think that's, I, I think the yeah, I've, I've heard that there's uh, going on like a sense of guilt that it, even for, I, we're very lucky to still, you know, not have experienced furloughs or mm, not have lost our jobs right gracious. now, right? Like we are so freaking lucky. And so, so you lucky. kind of like, let me count my blessings, but I'm still, I'm still struggling a little bit and, yeah, you know, so anyways, well, you know. I will be okay. And thank you for letting me process this with you. Because I always, oh my gosh, that's what, that's what this is all about. And I always say, um, and I have in the past for many, many years, what would Michelle Obama do? And then <laughs> I forced my daughter to watch Becoming with me on Mother's Day. Oh. And I like cried from start to finish. I need some because, crying right now. Oh, it's, yes. Crying is very, very good, cathartic. But <laughs> oh, you know, and I cried because I miss her so much. I cried because she's so inspiring. I cried because she was talking to so many 
young women and girls of color and talking about how, you know, like the hurdles that you have to overcome that are going to be even harder and how much harder you have to mm-hmm. work and all the expectations mm-hmm. that people have from you that are different or all the ways they're going to categorize you, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. In some ways it's like, yes, that's not really going to go away. Yes. No. Things are going no. to change, but probably not from that lens. I mean, look at the world we're living in right now that is, you know, besides the coronavirus. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I also think that we are, not only are we fortunate to like have jobs and have our health and like be able to sit here and talk about this shit together yeah. on a podcast, but um, you and I have talked about how important, so important it is for us to be two women of color who've gotten pretty far, so far in our professional <laughs> lives, to be able to have a platform and share that with other people yes. and open it to other people and to be that kind of, you know, what would Michelle Obama do kind of person to say, like, how are we making space for other people while also making space for ourselves? <sighs> you made me cry, Allison. Mm, I love you, girl. I love you. Thank you. i to all my mommies out there who are working so hard, double hard, to essential workers who are like grinding, uh, to people who are just doing whatever they can to survive and thrive right now. I'm with you. My heart's with you. Mm. Me and Allison. 100%. We see you when no we one else see sees you. you. We see you right now. Anyways, let's talk. We got a guest this week. We do. Me We're too. gonna learn a lot from this guest. I really he's am, a I'm a, good guy. Good guy. Good guy. I'm super excited. Uh, you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it. Oh my gosh, you really made me cry. Oh, I'm sorry. We're so excited to have Matt Abrahams, an educator, author, and coach. He's a lecturer at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, where he teaches strategic communication. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So design is having a moment. It's, it's definitely growing as like the quote unquote seat at the table. And a lot of design leaders are now having to really improve, not just like they, a lot of design leaders are great, have likely rose to the ranks because of their great storytelling ability, but now they're having to translate design um, at a more strategic organizational level that really didn't, happened before so it's almost like how did how like this communication of in translation that's happening between like us being experts in design and having to go tell engineering this is how design works and you know being receptive to like hearing how engineering works or how product works or how marketing works uh if you're in tech right so you know you talk about it as the curse of knowledge and communication where people just are incredibly you know focused on their expertise. What kind, what kind of tips could we give to our people who are, who are doing that good, the Lord's work about being better communicators <laughs> as they're trying to, uh, and translators as they're trying to go spread the good word of, of design? So the antidote from my perspective to the curse of knowledge, knowing too much about what you're, you're speaking on is to take it away from you, take that spotlight away from you and put it on the, the folks that you're talking to. So if I, if I am an expert in some area and I start talking to people from my perspective of expertise, I might go over their heads, I might get in the weeds. I have to target my messaging 
to the needs of the audience. So again, it's about thinking about who that audience is and then packaging the information in a way that is digestible. My mother has this saying, and I know she didn't create it, but it is, it is absolutely <laughs> expert here, I think. And it's this notion of tell the time, don't build the clock. Many of us are clock builders. And when mm -hmm. we go to explain something, because we have such great expertise in the area, we start building the clock, explaining all the steps, how we, the decisions we made. People just need to know the time. If they want to know how the clock was built, they'll follow up with questions. So it's really about putting that spotlight on the audience and remembering that it's at the highest level that you need to start the communication. In the military, they have this saying, bottom line up front bluff get to the bottom line up front and then if you need to explain the information and i really think that's the only antidote to the curse of knowledge when you're thinking about actually communicating this and i've seen this happen so many times when i was working in consulting or even now it's like when a designer or is trying to present something to someone they're just trying to make their case it's almost like it's almost like a lawyer but not you know like a lawyer right you know, right. they're just like building this case to try to kind of get buy-in. Like, how have you been able to help people kind of change how they approach these situations? Well, again, it comes down to this notion of it's not about you, it's about your audience. What is it they need? So taking an audience-centric approach really, for some people, is transformational. It, mm -hmm. it really, it can help reduce anxiety because, again, it's not about you, it's about the content that you're sharing. It helps you frame information in a way that's easily digestible. And really it leads you to goal-based communication. And, and a lot of us don't think about the goal in a comprehensive way when we communicate. We might say, I want buy-in, but it's more than that. You need to think about goals in terms of three fundamental aspects. It, there is a component about information, a component about emotion, and a component about action. So it's information, emotion, and action. What do I want the audience to know? What do I want them to feel? What do I want them to do? Most of us go in with the, the action, I want buy-in, but we don't think about what do they need to know in order to give me buy-in, and we mm. certainly don't think about how do we need them to feel? Do we want them motivated? Do we want them confident? Do we want them inspired? Maybe even concerned, what is that feeling? So mm. a good way to help people focus on their communication is to get them to be audience-centric and then to really reflect on what their goal is. And then that, once you have a goal, you can strive for it. And by the way, the goal serves as a great way to assess success. When I go around the world doing what I do, I ask people, how do you know if your communication was successful? And the most frequent answer I get is, I got through it. As if survival is the big success metric. And that, of course, is ridiculous, right? It's all about do they know what you wanted them to know? Are they feeling the way you want them to feel? And ultimately, are they likely to do what you want them to do? So the answer to the question at one level is simple. Focus on the audience. Come up with a concrete goal. It's hard to implement that because there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Our anxiety, mm -hmm. uh, the politics of the situation, Mercy. the timing. Yeah, yes. all that. But <laughs> At its fundamental core, it's pretty much audience centricity and goal. That sounds like it'd be easy for us to pick up. But even as design leaders, I think like you're so you're so good at saying this. Like I I am like a stream of consciousness like <laughs> word vomiters. <laughs> and then I like uh -oh. play it off. I know, right? So and I'll just be like, blah, 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 blah. oh God, I've lost everybody. But it and I you're saying like be more like 
conscientious, be more self-aware, do all the, you know, consider what it would be at the end. And I feel like gotten that feedback in the past, but it's almost like applied design thinking to like communication. Do you you ever get feedback that like, like, how do you do it in real time? Oh, and like, let alone virtually at this point. Right, (laughs) right. So there's a lot in that question. So, Sorry. so no, 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 no. I, I, let me tease it apart. So, so the, the notion about stream of consciousness, and many of us are that way. That's the way we think. The problem is when we digest information as an audience member, what we know from neuroscience is that structured information, information that's packaged cleanly, concisely, clearly, is processed much more fluent, fluently. So we get it into our brains more quickly and we remember it longer. So structure becomes really critical. So training yourself, well, first giving yourself permission to think in a stream of conscious consciousness way, but then to convert that into something structured for people. So let me, let me share with you what I mean by structure, Uh, a, a wonderful structure. I am a big advocate of this. It's very simple. It's answering three questions. What, so what, and now what? So when you have to can make a contribution in a meeting, start by, sharing what it is you want to get across, explain why it's important and relevant, and then explain what the next steps logically would be. That packaging, that structure makes it easy for people to digest. And by the way, that structure isn't just applicable for giving contributions to meetings or giving presentations. You can give feedback in that structure. When a colleague says, hey, what do you think? You tell them what you think, you tell them why it's important, and then you tell them what they need to change. That's what, so what, now what. You can write emails in this way. The subject line is the now what. Here's the action. And then the body of the email is, here's what I need, and here's why it's important. So to help all of us package up our information, leveraging a structure can be really helpful. Does that uh, make sense? Absolutely. Yes. I think Alice and I are like dumbfounded right now. Like we're like, huh? I'm like writing all the notes. Like I'm like, I know, oh, I gotta do I that. Know. I'm writing so many notes. I'm like, do I do this now? I don't think no, so. The answer, no, probably not. I don't. <laughs> I don't do no. it. The answer I was like, no, you don't. <laughs> Although I do believe, <laughs> thanks, Joey. <laughs> I do believe that in that as the, particularly in this design operations field that we're in right now. Uh, um, we continually ask ourselves, at least I do, and I, I'm pretty sure you do, Jackie, too, is that going into a situation is, you know, the same design question of what problem are you trying to solve? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so even for the user, for a product or for whatever, but walking into a situation like, what is the problem that I'm trying to solve uh, in partner with having tactical empathy for the person that I'm trying to collaborate with on solving this problem? Because I think the tactical empathy piece is really about understanding, to your point, understanding the audience, what is their underlying motivation? Mm-hmm. And so if you could kind of frame, I love this structure because I feel like that is what I've been doing to kind of get the things that I need to, well, not get through, but to articulate and communicate in the way that is kind of um digestible for the people that I'm trying to translate all of this information to, but the framing of that, what, so what, now what is really helpful because to your point, it's like this structured way of thinking instead of just pulling all these different pieces into it. Right. Does that Absolutely. Sense? It helps, it helps structure. It helps make your message concise. And to your point, and I love this notion of tactical empathy, it helps you tailor it. The so what piece mm-hmm. in that structure is all about what's the value this provides to you the person I'm speaking to or to mm-hmm. the company or to the, 
to the customer. So I love that notion of tactical empathy. That's, that's to me synonymous with audience centricity. So I love that. Now you brought up the challenge of, of spontaneity and being virtual and, and, and that's hard. You know, the thing with spontaneity and I do a lot of work on this. So at the business school, I was asked by the deans to help with a, a perennial problem students freak out when they're cold called. Uh, I'm sure you both remember what cold calling is like. It's where the evil mean professor points at you and says, what do you think? And out of nowhere, <laughs> you've got to, you got to go from silence to brilliance. And that's really hard. Oh, and so that, that, that to me is a quintessential spontaneous speaking moment. And the biggest challenge that I have found in, in years of trying to help people with this is we ourselves are what are holding us back. We get in our own way. The problem is, and I see this with designers. My brother is, is, a, is a designer, uh, a, an art director, all of that. <laughs> oh, he got bless. that talent. I certainly didn't. <laughs> and, and there's, there's a, goal, a desire, and all of us have this, to do it so well, to be, to be the best yeah. that we can be at what we're doing. Oh my gosh, the problem okay. is, when it comes to speaking, especially spontaneously, that gets in the way. Mm. Our desire to be, to say it just right prevents us in some cases from saying it at all. So mm. uh, I borrow from improvisation. I love improv. And there's a very famous maximum improv, which is dare to be dull. I get up in front of a bunch of Stanford MBAs, some of the brightest students oh my in business God. in the world. And I say, dare to be dull. And it's as if I suck the, the air out of the room. They've never been told that. But the point of that message is just get the job done. Take the pressure off yourself to do it right and just get it done. And in so doing, you free up all of these cognitive resources that allow you to do it amazingly well. The virtue of wanting, by virtue of wanting to do it perfectly, we hamstring ourselves from being able to do it. So we have to counterintuitively just say to ourselves, not so much pressure, let's just do it and then we can achieve things. So that's the biggest barrier I have seen in all my years of doing this to being a good spontaneous speaker. It's giving yourself permission just to say what you want to say. And then if you compare with that structure, like we just talked about, all of a sudden you sound like a genius. Um, so so Oh, go ahead, Jackie. I was just going to say like, okay, so Allison and I spoke at a conference together. So this is like one of her first times. And like, I kept being like, Allison, it's fine. We'll just get us up on stage. We'll be fine. We'll be great. We'll be fine. <laughs> like, yeah, like, so you were just talking about like the spot calling thing. Like I, you talked about that and like my mouth like salivated, like, oh, I would love that. Like, I'm such a freakazoid in that way. Like, I like, I love, I love that spontaneity, but it also kind of can hurt me sometimes I think in my communication style because um you know I'll, I and I, I, I listened to a couple of your podcasts but I, I love the one on on managing your reputation because I mm-hmm. love that spontaneity I love being able to like quip and be really funny in the moment or you know like always have a funny like like thing to say a come back in a meeting and like getting laughter and then getting like trust and then the room mm-hmm. to come back. but like it 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 definitely like affects how people look at you, how people um, perceive you. I think your reputation, things like that. Like, it's so fascinating. Like, I don't feel like I have an issue with that. I feel like I'm, oh, I got that. It's more like, um, yeah, like, it, well, like relevance and, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's so interesting because it's not just what you communicate. It's how you do it. It's like, it's mm-hmm. contextual. It's, it's 
it's how you've done it repeatedly. And, you know, like, and it's, it's so fascinating. Communication isn't just like a one transactional thing. It's like, you know, the way our brains work, it, it's like memories, you know, (laughs) or like a form of communication too. I don't know. I just, I felt like I, I, I just feel like, I, I don't know, maybe just communication for me is just, it's a complicated thing. It's a complicated thing. Well, I think it's also complicated. It's probably uh, particularly complicated for women as well in the workforce. But as you were talking, Matt, I was thinking oftentimes, or I could speak for myself, um, the confidence that it took to get to a place where I'm comfortable with just saying things in being okay with being dull. I think in general, like as a, as a design leader, I try to build comfort around designers even sharing dull, messy, early work uh, and being able to just kind of talk freely in these open forums. But I myself, I I feel like up, you know, it has taken me a long time um, over the course of my career to even have the confidence to just speak up. So, uh, so how do you work with people? I don't know. I know we're saying we were throwing a lot at you. We're, we're talkers, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> you can help us. I that. love it. No, I love it. I, I think love this it. is the coaching phase of the interview. <laughs> so we're two totally oh. different communicators. Like, what, how, help us, Matt, will you help us? You guys are great, but you're good examples of, of what happens in communication. Uh, you're both super passionate. You've got lots of ideas. And it's awesome that, that you're comfortable sharing them. And so I, I enjoy it. But there are times where you have to adjust your communication for the situation that you're in. And, and mm-hmm. as designers, uh, what makes you all so great at what you do is your ability to be creative, to share ideas, to give feedback in a way that builds on how uh, the ideas that people have. I, I love doing work with Stanford's D School, just the, the mm-hmm. way they approach life is so reaffirming. Uh, But at the same time, there are situations where you're sitting in front of a client and the client wants to know, what am I getting for the money I'm paying? And you have to be very business-like, concise and clear and and goals, goal-oriented. So to me, the biggest thing is just being able to switch gears. In in the Mm. academic world, we call it code switching, switching Mm -hmm. for what's expected (laughs) at a certain time. Yep. You know, I I tell the story uh, when I talk, when I teach this, um, my wife is from the Midwest. She's from Nebraska, wholesome, wonderful part of the country. I'd never been until we started dating. And uh, when she first met my family, she came away and go, do you guys even like each other? Because in, <laughs> in my family, the way to be heard is you have to speak louder and longer than anybody mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And then in my wife's family, they actually take turns. They listen. And I almost <laughs> fell asleep while I was part of a conversation. And, and the woman who became my mother-in-law said something to me that no person has ever said to me before. When I was done speaking, she looked at me, paused, and said, tell me more. Ooh. No one in my family has ever <laughs> asked anybody to say more. And, and the reason I use that example is even in families, there are different ways and modes of communication. And you have to be able to code switch. If I spoke the way I speak with my family in my wife's family, I would be seen as r- uh, rude and bombastic, you know, just because that it's a different uh, requirement. And so part of what we all need to do is be able to switch depending on the, the environment. So I get, to, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was thinking but, about code switching. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. No, code, oh, let me, I want to like follow really Jackie, quickly. Jackie, listen. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You go. Follow up. No, follow up. Go for but it. code switching. So code switching for me, I grew up here in Atlanta, woman of color, 
you know, the way I'm talking right now is if I was with my friends, it's not how I talk. So it, when we talk about this is like, as yeah. we diversify our teams and so like code switching to me is like this thing yeah. that I recognize is like the culture I grew up in or the way I actually want to talk isn't the way I always talk. And that, you know, is a, a cognitive a load that I carry of like, okay, now like it, but you know, I, I think we do, I, I've coached people who are looking to grow in their career and have to say like, it's part of the process. Mm -hmm. It's not something. And, and as you grow in your ranks to diversify, uh, or as you grow in your ranks in your career, you can be a different leader than the leader that you, you mm -hmm. or whatever. And you can allow, you know, like, less code switching as required in a professional environment. But like for me, the, the term code switching, you, you just get to this point that's yeah. really important, which is, you know, communication is critical. It's, you know, and code switching is a part of it. Uh, it's something that can change and I think has changed mm -hmm. in the professional work yeah. environment. But I think, you know, when I heard uh, like the term code switching, you're like in academia, call it, oh my gosh, we call it code switching. Like in the bathroom yeah. at work, we were like, oh God, gotta go code switch. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go, I gotta go act like something. The, the best academic work happens in bathrooms. I'll tell you, but you're, like, but, but you're, you're highlighting a really important tension there, right? Is, mm -hmm. you know, diversity and inclusion is so important. We need to hear mm -hmm. varied voices, varied experiences. And at the same time, there, there is a prevailing expectation on what certain communication is. So what I think is, is best is, is to really just under, look for what is expected and then make a decision, a choice to either conform or not based on your goal, based mm -hmm. on what you think is important. And you're absolutely right. We all have to feel comfortable bringing ourselves, the way mm -hmm. we speak, what we talk about to work and to interactions with others. But we also have to understand that there are expectations in those environments. Yeah. And so it is tricky. It is it's absolutely tricky. tricky for sure. Thank you for letting me interrupt no, and follow. No, no, no. I just thought, you know, a lot of people probably would hear code switching and say, oh, well, that's, you know, has such yeah. a moniker. Like that's such a resonant experience, especially for people mm -hmm. of color, like of what, oh, I have to coast. But I think it's, I think you're hitting on a really important part um, of, of it, that it's kind of part of the process and part of. Um, it, to me, it's about awareness building. I mean, fundamentally, I think all, uh, all I really do is help people examine their habits and turn them into choices. And when mm -hmm. it comes to communication, we all communicate out of habit. We do what's worked for us in the past. And in many situations that works really well, but mm -hmm. there are other tools that we could use and exploring those tools, practicing those tools so that we have a wider repertoire of what we can do is what's gonna help us grow as leaders, grow as people, mm -hmm. and ultimately be more inclusive of others. Mm. Because when we work out of habit, all we do is see the way we've always seen it and, and introducing new tools and new choices uh, expand our view and we might see new interesting things and ways of interacting. I love that. I love that too. I really love that because e e there is, and it's it's building a kind of muscle around all of this mm -hmm. because it's being very intentional around how you're relating and communicating with people. And and going back to what I was saying earlier is I think, well, it obviously takes time and a lot of thought and intentionality to build these types of skills. Um, but it also takes 
a level of confidence. Yes. That is that I feel like comes with, with, with time, with like seasoning and age and or whatever. <laughs> Some people just have it. <laughs> well, so I would disagree. I, I, I and, and politely I'll disagree. I, I think everybody needs to work on it. And there are situations that will make everyone nervous. The, the thing is we see people who look so confident. We say, oh my goodness, they're fantastic. Many of these people have worked really hard and they likely are nervous even though they don't appear to. There are mm. things you can do to manage anxiety. And I spend a lot of time helping people with this. I wrote a book on it. I coach people on it. I mean, it's really, it's really foundational. 85% of people report feeling nervous in high stakes communication situations. And I, I think the other 15% are lying. <laughs> I think they, they get nervous too. I still get nervous as somebody who's focused on this for almost three decades. I still get nervous in certain situations. So it really becomes about managing it. Well, first it's recognizing it and you're not alone. Most people feel this way. Second, it's about managing it. And when you manage it, you have to manage both symptoms and sources. You know, what happens for you? I blush and sweat when I get nervous and there are things I can do to reduce that. Some people get shaky. So it's about finding the symptoms, understanding the symptoms and finding ways of managing them. And then secondarily, it's looking at what actually causes that anxiety for you. Mm. And then work finding techniques to help you manage the, what's causing that anxiety. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the state that we're in right now and you having to kind of evolve and shift through teaching, through talking, through just the communication as it exists now and how it is likely going to exist um, in the short term and probably in the long term of like not being face-to-face, -face, trying to sort of build connection, rapport, understanding, et cetera, all the things. What, what, what are the yeah. ways that you're thinking and coaching people on how to manage through this time? Thank you for that question. It's a very important one. And I actually think designers, folks who do what you do, uh, can help lead this uh, evolution, revolution, whatever you want to call it. So to me, there are three fundamental areas to focus on when virtual and remote in communication. First is what I call hygiene, just virtual hygiene. Make sure you, you've got good lighting. There aren't a lot of distracting things uh, behind you. You look at the camera. You don't look at your notes or your keyboard or the screen. Mm -hmm. uh, those are just blocking and tackling fundamental things. The second two issues are much more complex, and it's about presence and engagement. How, are, how do you show your focus? How do you gain attention from your audience? And designers, that's what you guys live and breathe. You're thinking about what draws people's attention, what keeps their attention, where is focus need to be placed. And those are skills that will serve you well in this environment. And then the engagement, what, what gets collaboration? What gets mind share of people? How, how can I draw them in? Do I tell them something or perhaps ask them a question? Do I ask them to imagine something versus just telling them the outcome? These are subtle tools that invite engagement. So designers think this way. You guys are always thinking about focus, attention, interest, uh, engagement, and applying that mindset and some of the tools that you all know, I think will help us in the short term. And, and if there is any cool outcome of this, I believe that in the future, when we are back in person and everything, that these skills will continue to linger and will actually help. So people will take what we've learned in this virtual environment to gain presence and connection and actually apply those in person so that we will amplify what we used to do so that the connection and presence is even better. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you because it's very difficult. And I've been working um, for distributed companies for the last two years. So this isn't yeah. really new to me, but as a human-centered operations-focused person, mm -hmm. I have been thinking a lot about uh, how you build connection in space, uh, the inability to create moments of serendipity, but also like, you know, relation. And I liked how you talked about um, in, in one of your podcasts, you were talking about using emotion to get things started. Yeah. Like in this particular time, I, I, I really love that because there is this, there is a very, there's so much authenticity happening right now. I mean, we were talking with you before we even started the podcast about how this week seemingly has been particularly hard for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but it's really nice when you're talking to people and you say, how are you? And everyone's answering, I feel mm -hmm. like very authentically, whereas they didn't used to in the past. So, yeah. um, so I feel like there is, to your point, a real way to actually weave in emotion to act, to connect with people now that didn't exist in the past and hopefully we can continue to bring that through into the future but um but how do you manage to continue to build that connection what are your what are your thoughts about that well i think you're certainly right about authentic this is an authenticity moment where where people mm -hmm. Uh, work in life have always, you know, had a, an interesting relationship, but now work and life are, are colliding in, in very unique ways. And I, I agree, people just taking a moment to share, to check in. Uh, I recently saw um, an icebreaker for, for one of these virtual meetings where, where the person asked us all to find something in our home where near us and show a picture of it and explain it just so we had some context. And I love that. Yeah. So uh, I, I, just being open to people sharing, using examples, asking questions that invite people to, to be engaged and to bring them their, their whole selves to the interaction, I think is, is, the, is the way you achieve what you're talking about. And it's really, the other thing is just putting a priority on it. A lot of us are so time crunched that it's all about just, I've got to get this done. Here's what I need to get done. I'm now going to get it done versus taking a, the time to connect to see the impact, to ask questions. And while that takes more time, intuitively we know it's gonna to lead to better results, better relationships, and perhaps even more creative outcomes. So uh, part of it is prioritization. The other part is just taking the time to do the work. Well, totally let you go back to your day. Thank you so much. Hey, all I'm doing is so grading. So much. this is a pleasant <laughs> diversion. No, thank you. If you'd like to hear more from Matt, check out his podcast. Think Fast, Talk Smart, which is a great way to get some bite-sized bits of information, super helpful information, much like he was sharing with us today. You can check out his consulting website, boldecho.com, as well as his website, nofreakingspeaking.com, where he evangelizes more knowledge or drops more knowledge around confident communication. If you want more from me, Allison Rand, and me, Jackie Fry. Go to InCommon.Design. Alrighty, that's our show. Ciao. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.